We've been walking through this series on prayer. So in the first week, we just kind of went through, why would we even do this series? We read some of the questions, some of the 75 questions that you gave us. We read questions from ex-Christians who had kind of checked out of the faith because nobody answered their questions and read some of the pain and some of the longing in those questions. We'd also spend a little bit of time talking about the unanswered prayers of Jesus, kind of contrasting Jesus, who has all power, it seems at times, chose to pray instead of act, pray instead of heal, pray instead of intervene, pray instead of even call the angels to rescue him. The second week, we asked these questions. We started into some of the more difficult questions. Does prayer change God's mind? If God is sovereign, what good will it do to pray? We also wanted to know, why pray if God already knows all of your needs? On the does prayer change God's mind front, we noted that there are some verses in Scripture that says that he does change his mind. There's some verses in Scripture that says he doesn't. We looked at examples where he did seem to change his mind. Now we looked at examples where he declined to change his mind. We looked at both. And I think where we ended up after doing that was saying, all right, it seems like if you're going to make a case scripturally, there seems to be evidence on both sides. So maybe that it's likely that God can change his mind. This seems to be mostly as a result of us wrestling with God. Most of the cases where we saw God kind of changing his mind was in response to a wrestling. So it brought up the real question, was he changing his mind? Was he really like, did he just want to do one thing and then we talked him out of it? Or was it really something that he wanted to engage us in and wrestle with us to see? Is that what's going on? And it was a rare case in scripture, by the way. It's not found throughout, but there are these instances. So where we left off was we said, well... We can never really know the mind of God. That seemed to be something that all of us seem to agree with. So our best course of action, if we don't know if he's going to change his mind or not, or if he would in a particular circumstance, or even if we really understand what changing his mind really means, the best course of action is just to go ahead and pray as if we could. Not just because we've concluded that it would happen, but because that's what's commanded in Scripture anyway. And we saw that over and over, that we might as well do that. Because most of the time, we're never really going to know what the mind of God is or whether he changed it or not. So not knowing, probably best to go ahead and pray. Here's another question we ask. If God is sovereign, what good will it do to pray? Why even do it? And we felt kind of the hopelessness of praying when the, the question kind of says, if God's sovereign, he's not going to change. He's already got everything planned out. Why even pray? Just let things go about. But in real life, we don't do that. I mean, in real life, we don't just say, ah, oh, whatever, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Most of us actually do care about the outcome. Here's some things we noted there. Even if God is completely sovereign and wherever you are on the sovereignty and free will continuum, we said is fine. Even if he's completely sovereign, he still invites us to pray. Even as we pray, thy will be done in the Lord's prayer, he's saying you should pray and then pray thy will be done. So it seems that Jesus is pretty clear. Regardless of what you think about his sovereignty, his control over all things, he instructs us to pray. We also know that at times God appears to restrict his sovereignty to allow for free will. We touched on that briefly because we didn't want to dive into a whole sovereignty and free will debate. But that was one observation we made. Other times, though, he actually intervenes in the natural order, it seems. We're going to talk a little bit tonight about miracles, when he actually might intervene and change things. So we know we have a God who's capable of doing that. So again... The conclusion was, since we really don't know if our free will is in action or if his sovereignty is in control, but we're commanded to pray, probably the safest course of action, we should pray like it matters. Either way, because we can't really know. Third one, 
Why pray if God already knows all of your needs? Well, this one was kind of already assumed in Scripture. Jesus said that the Father already knows all of your needs. And yet he moves on to say, now you should pray like this. So we have an assurance that God knows what we need. That should free us up. It should know that we don't have to actually explain it to him like he's never heard it. He already knows. We can dive right in and actually bring our concerns to him. Somebody said, well, if he really knows, aren't we just wasting his time? You know, it seems funny how we would only think that with God. You know, you probably have a friend where you tell your friend the same thing over and over and over when you're going through it, right? You know that friend? Maybe you're that friend and somebody's doing it to you, right? Maybe they're on the verge of like some relationship issue or something going on in their life, right? And, and they come to you like a hundred times in a row and you just sit there. It's like, is it a surprise each time it happens when they sit with you and say, yeah, I'm still going through this thing. Like, are you like, oh, I'm shocked. You're more like, oh, how long is this time going to take, right? It's funny how in our personal relationships with each other, we tolerate consistently sitting before a friend that we know really, really well and going over the same things over and over. And we love the fact that they'll listen to us. We want the comfort or we want that additional thing, even if they're going to say the same thing and even if we're going to say the same thing. There's just something to the relationship that's there. It's no different. If God already knows your needs, that doesn't mean like, well, then he doesn't need to hear it. He's very much in a similar vein, I would say. That he wants us to sit there and maybe go through it one more time. Maybe just sit and spend that time. Maybe it's not about asking about something of our needs. Maybe it's just sitting and having that conversation again, like we so often do with our friends. Jesus commands prayer despite the Father knowing our needs. Jesus modeled prayer for reasons that have nothing to do with petitioning God for our needs. Think about that. Jesus spent time with God because he was being intimate with the Father. He was spending time for strength. He was spending time to face temptation. He was spending time just dwelling. So even the question itself may be a kind of a false question, that the only purpose to prayer is so that he might know our needs. No. There may be a lot of other reasons. In fact, as you know my bias, there are a lot of other reasons. Finally, we said that Jesus commended persistent and insistent prayer. So despite God knowing our needs, he still gave us two parables of persistent, insistent prayer. One was the parable of the widow with the judge constantly bothering him. Of course the judge knew what she wanted, but Jesus told the parable. She kept bothering the judge until he gave her justice. Also the parable of the person knocking on the door, the neighbor who would not open the door for his neighbor, and he kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until finally he opened up. Again, another model from Jesus of persistent and insistent prayer. So even if God knows our needs, which of course he does, the purpose of prayer is far beyond that, but if it's just for that purpose, he's saying, bug me. Okay, that's kind of where we were, and we left it there. So here's where I want to go tonight. Push forward in some more questions. Some of the questions you asked, and tonight what I want to do now that I've done this intro, is I need you to think with me and help me come up with some of the answers. I want to hear from you tonight. We've probably grown up hearing some of the things that you're going to hear tonight. I want to know what you think about it. A lot of your questions focused on how do I make my prayers more answerable? Is there some truth to the fact about faith or fasting? Some of these things. We're going to talk about those tonight. Here's one question we got from you. Does prayer change God or does it change us? We've already seen that one of the answers I just finished summarizing is that maybe God can change his mind. I don't think God changes. I think the right way to say it is he might relent. He might have already known he was going to relent. All that debate that we had that week, we're not going to go back into it. So maybe a better way to phrase this question is this way. 
Does prayer only change us? Or does it also change the world around us? See, the question assumes that prayer can only change us, not going to change anything else, and I think that's probably a badly worded question. I'm sure it changes us. The question that I think most of us were asking when we were looking at the power of prayer was, is prayer change me like so I just don't want it anymore? Does prayer change me so I become patient? Or is there really power in prayer? Would it actually change something in the world? And I think some of your questions reference some of these, what I call axioms of prayer. And I put axioms in quotes because I'm not even sure. I don't know where we get some of these. Here's what I want you to think about tonight. Have you heard these in the church and do you agree with them? I'm going to put up five of them. First, if your prayer is not answered, it's because you lack the faith. Anyone heard that one? Talk about that tonight. True miracles of physical healing occur every day. God wants you to be healed and he's just waiting for you to ask him. Heard that one? Three, a number of you asked about this one. The prayers of a righteous person carry more weight with God. If you are righteous and doing his will, your prayer will be answered. Here's another one. The more people pray for a certain result, the more likely it is for God to grant that request. Some people might call that, you might have heard it as agreement in prayer. Like if we get together and we agree on a certain thing, it will likely result. Anyone heard that one? And lastly, some people have the gift of intercession, which means, and this is the part we have to focus on, that they have a spiritual gift whereby God listens more to their prayers than others. So, let's just dive in. I want you guys to open it up. I want you to think about those. A number of you sound like you've heard them. And if we're all actually honest, all of us have heard these. Let's start with the first one. If your prayer is not answered, it's because you lack the faith. I want to make some introductory comments. I like what Philip Yancey says about this. He said, when he's talking about how Jesus could have explained prayer, he said, Jesus could have said something like this. I am bestowing the gift of prayer. You must realize, of course, that humans cannot have perfect wisdom. So there are limits as to whether your prayers will be answered. Prayer operates like a suggestion box. Spell out your request clearly to God, and I guarantee that all requests will be carefully considered. That's what he's saying that Jesus could have said. Instead, this is what Jesus actually said. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. I think we have to wrestle with that a little bit tonight. That was, by the way, Mark eleven twenty three. Here's the next verse. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whatever you ask. John 14, 12 to 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's open it up. If your prayer is not answered, it's because you lack the faith. You just saw the evidence in Scripture. That's what Jesus is saying. You could make mountains throw themselves into the sea. You could ask anything you want. Obviously, we all just lack the faith. Oh, ye of little faith sitting here. What do you think? Is that right? Yes. There is specifically one situation I can tell you like 100% 
I was so convinced. I believed. I had faith. This is like what God wanted for me. It was like a clear path. I could see it. And I prayed for months every day. And like it didn't happen. So. Do you think you lack the faith? I don't think I lacked faith in that situation, but I think God is still sovereign. And how come there isn't like a little kind of caveat or something in that verse? You know, it's, all it says is like, believe, like have faith, tell the mountain to throw itself at will. But obviously it's not just that. Well, it says there, you may ask for anything in my name. Did you say, in Jesus' name? Did you use, did you use a magic language? But you didn't just end the prayer in Jesus' name. Like every time you said, in Jesus' name, I asked for it, right? All right, all right. But I also said, but whatever, you will be dead. Oh. <laughs> so you kind of left some fudge room there for... Okay, Scott? Something of the questioning missing in this verse, because they knew people, they did stuff, think of like, I don't have enough faith as a disciple did, as Paul did when he was sitting there casting demons out. What was the difference just because they saw Jesus walking around that they had more faith than we do that we've not seen him? Yeah, tonight's reverse exodus. I ask the questions and you answer them. So like, so like, yeah, so tonight, that's, that's a good question. Does anyone have an answer to that? I would probably have more faith if I saw amazing miracles in front of my eyes. So yeah, they probably did have more faith. So the disciples had more faith because they saw these amazing things and they got like pumped up, right? I don't know if that counts. Because even doubting Thomas, he says, you know what, you, you believe because you see, like, greater are those who, who even don't see. Like, I think, I think the measure of faith doesn't matter about what you see. Like, if you see it and you believe it, that seems like it takes less faith to believe. You said that greater are those who have faith but don't see. That means that they're to be more commended. But that, that doesn't mean that they will have more faith. I mean, it would be great if they had more faith. Right. So I think what dancing is that it would be easier to have faith when you're watching Jesus do one miracle after another. And yes, today, we would be considered greater if we had that kind of faith and we didn't see what they saw. But I think the practical problem still exists that it's hard for us to have that kind of faith. Yeah. Uh, My first comment would be, there's no way that you could actually create that standard of faith by which you could judge other believers. But my other thing is to chastise you for taking this out of context. Because this Mm -hmm. verse is not talking about measure of faith as it's talking about glorification of the Father. It's talking about the act to do in the Father and it's talking about the Trinity. It's talking about something else. So, Okay, do the same thing with the Mark passages, by the way. Can you? I mean, look it up. You've got a, you've got a, you've got a big, thick dictionary-looking Bible. Look up that. <laughs> look up the Mark passages and tell me if they're also taken out of context because that's what I want us to do tonight because this is what's bantered around the church we all feel like losers as a result of it. And tonight is our chance to actually figure out, is this true or not? Yeah. Well, is Mark passage, was he just talking um, to his disciples at that time? That's one explanation. Let me throw out a couple explanations to help the discussion along. One explanation people say is when he's talking about, I tell you the truth, he's talking to his disciples and his disciples only. And we have evidence, of course, in Scripture that the disciples, especially the 12, the apostles, and Paul later, seem to have a lot more ability and power than other people around him. Okay, one explanation is he's talking specifically to the disciples. The other explanation that's thrown out is there's this constant qualification of what you do in my name. The in my name qualification, some people believe, is, doesn't mean that you ask just in Jesus' name, like you add that little thing like it's an incantation or you, you know, shake the maraca and like do some sort of voodoo thing that goes with it, like just because you said it. The in my name actually means that you're doing it for me and my purposes. All right? So then you're more aligned with what God is asking you to do 
that you're doing it for him, for his purposes, for the glory of the Lord, that's what in my name might be. Okay, you guys all seem to like that one because that would make a big exception qualification. You're like, yeah, right. That puts us back into, oh yeah, but if it's God's will, right? Which is where we leave the room open again because that would make it easier for us when we doesn't come true to go, it's not that I lack the faith, it just wasn't God's will, right? Which was a question you asked. Is tagging on if it's God's will to every prayer a cop-out or is that really biblical? We're not going to answer that tonight. We'll come back to it. That's one of the questions you asked. Anyone else on this? Yeah. Speaking to the disciples again here after he's cast the um, tree and destroyed it, but at the same time, I think it's only for the disciples at that. It wasn't like he was generally saying it to the whole crowds of people that were there. It was just to them. True. That's, I mean, that's the thing we have to determine, though. So if, if you start to put that his statements about faith are only to the disciples, well, then what other teachings are only for the disciples? And after a while, that gets a little bit weird, too. Because then you could start to say, well, the whole Sermon on the Mount was only told to the disciples. So, like, we're just, that's for them. For us, it's just, hey, you're forgiven. You know, like, what, that can't be the standard either. I'm not sure like, I understand what this passage is about. I could summarize it. This is what it's about. But it feels like it's from the disciples, they come to him sort of in a surprise, like, hey, the fig tree's withered. Like, what you actually said came true. Like, I mean, they're just surprised. And Jesus is like, come on, guys, really? Like, have faith. Like, God actually can't affect the world. Like, it's more that they're on one extreme. This is the impression I'm getting from it. Like, they're on one extreme, and he starts saying, like, look, guys, like, you need to be much more that way. I cursed the tree, and it withered. Like, God can do that. Let's talk about the context of this Mark verse. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in prior discussions. This is where they're on the way to the temple. He's about to clear out the temple. He's on the way back. And on the way, he curses the fig tree because it didn't have fruit. And we said that it was a metaphor for the fact that he's come to Israel and found that they don't have any fruit. He curses the tree. The next day when they're walking by it, it's dead. But you're right. The disciples could care less about the metaphor. They could care less about the finding fruit. They're just surprised that he looked for fruit, he didn't find it, the next day it was dead. So it does seem like it's talking about this miraculous ability. If you want to throw in one more, by the way, let's talk about Peter walking on the water. I mean, Peter was able to do it. He saw Jesus walk on the water, so that might go back to the point about, well, if you saw Jesus walk on the water, maybe you'd have the faith to do it. All right, so that's valid. But Peter steps out, and as soon as he starts to doubt, that's when he sinks, right? He walks for a while, he doubts, he sees the waves, he gets scared, he sinks. And Jesus grabs him immediately and pulls him out and says, why don't you have that kind of faith? So there does seem to be this relationship between faith and some, some ability to conquer the natural world. But is it a formula? Anyone else? How does this play out in your, your life? I mean, do you believe this? Do you believe if you just have faith, you can do anything? You could tell the mountain to move and it will dive into the sea? I'm just thinking even, not necessarily connected directly to faith, but even like in the Old Testament, like we're going through like lamentations and everything on the Wednesday nights, this idea that the Israelites realize like, yes, we've sinned. We haven't done what like you commanded us to do. And they felt this impression of like, yeah, we're crying out to you, God, and you're ignoring us. Like, that our prayers like aren't as important to you. We're like aren't are being pushed to the side because we sinned against you. Like because we're not like right with you. And like there's some sense in which like yeah, I feel it's connected to the faith idea to some degree that if we're not where we should be, not that God like if people are sinful, God ignores them, but there's some element that seems to be there that there's some the more faith we have and the more righteous we are, that the more that like, what we want is what happens, because, like, what we want is what God wants. Okay, let me ask it this way. How many people agree that having faith helps 
your prayer. How many people agree with that statement? If you had faith that something would come about, it would actually help your prayers. Anybody agree with that? Okay, the people who don't believe that, why not? I mean, faith plays no role in what you're doing with God. Because if you think this is kind of goofy, let's hear why. Yeah. We think the faith is out there. It's possible. Someone, obviously, in history has done it. They've healed people. Demons have been cast out. But I think a lot of people feel like you can never attain that, or it's there, but you can't do it, or it's not enough, or you're not sure what it takes to like get to that point. But isn't that what the definition of faith is? I mean, isn't faith a kind of belief that's more than just kind of knowing that it's possible, but something that you would actually put your life on? It comes down to that scale, though, because it's like, I can honestly say that I do have faith in things, but I doubt, because if it's true that all it takes is faith, the longer you're a Christian, the older you get, it it diminishes over time through your experiences. It's like, well, I believe this, and it didn't, so it's possible that just faith alone it doesn't, and then the next thing happens, and the next thing, and the next thing, and it's like, diminishes throughout your lifetime, in a way. Okay. Jill. I think, um, for me personally, I always believe that there's some potential for something to happen, kind of like what you were saying, but a little less extreme. Like, I know the things I pray about, like, I can visualize it happening, I know that it could happen, but it's almost kind of not wanting to open yourself up to the disappointment if they don't. You don't want to be sold on something and commit your heart to it and then just be left in a place where you're crushed. Okay. I feel like, why should you pray if like, you don't have faith that it's going to happen, you know? Like, for those people that don't believe that faith plays a role, then, I mean, then why would you pray not believing that it's going to happen? Well, I could answer that just by saying, what if you didn't believe that anything was going to change, but you just prayed to God to say, I'm so disappointed you're not going to change this. I mean, you could do that every single day. You could say to God, like, I'm really disappointed. I just want you to know how I feel. Prayer has other purposes, is what I'm saying. It ha- there's other reasons to pray, but... Now narrowing down to your question, yeah, sure, if you were praying to change the outcome, if that was the only reason you're praying, but you didn't have faith that it would change, that does bring us back to why I'm asking the question of, like, why are those people praying if you don't think anything could change and if faith has no role in it? Phil? For us to say, well, I'm going to pray this, whatever it is, to happen because I want it to happen, and I believe it will happen. Well, that's me assuming God wants it to happen, and God will make it happen which I don't think any of us have that right to make that assumption on God that he will act a certain way. Like, we can request things of him and ask things of him, but if God's just going to do whatever we ask him to do, I mean, like, he's not really that special. Like, really, if, I mean, he's at the whim of all of us. Like, if we just believe he'll do it, then he'll do it. Like, I mean, it just seems ridiculous. Okay, so you're putting one boundary on the whole faith thing, which is it's got to be at least something he's, that's within his will to do. Well, in the, even like what Joe said, like, the, I, I think there's, there's a huge difference between believing something can happen and God has the power to do it and if he desires it, if it's within his will to do it, as opposed to it just will happen. And like believing something will happen I think is ridiculous because like you don't know what will happen. You can't know. But isn't that kind of what faith is about? I mean, go back to Peter on the boat. I mean, he could look out in the water and go, I believe it's possible for somebody to walk on water. I believe it might even be possible for me. But then he doesn't do it. Like, what does that solve anything? And the fact that he actually steps out and starts making steps, I don't think he would have gotten out of the boat if he didn't think he was actually going to do it. Who else? Back row? Yeah, Soren. Don't some of the scriptures, like, have that kind of, like, opposite extremes where it says, like, like pray, like, the full belief that it will happen. But then there's something that's like, but at the same time, like, 
be surprised if it doesn't. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me read you something from James chapter 4. Here's James chapter 4, starting verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Now, that could be a counterbalance to ask whatever you want and then might qualify what asking in my name means. Because here James on the other side, which he's often on the other side of a lot of scriptures, saying when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Now he is talking really here about material asking. Because he goes on to say, so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he is talking about a specific type of asking, but you know, even if you're just going to look at the people who preach the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it and just have faith and you'll have it, that verse stands in direct contravention of that. All right, Because you might be asking with the wrong motive. So in this case, you're not going to receive because you have the wrong motive. That's James' take on it. So you're right. There are balances. And I'm choosing to put up the ones that are most often cited by these people who believe if you just don't get it, it's because you lack the faith. And I'm glad you guys are starting to tear it down. Anyone else? But what's the, I mean, what's the right motive? It, again, it goes back to... Um, the will of God, that's kind of significant, right? It is, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, Jeremy? If we look like at Lamentations, for example, you can't assume that everybody, right, was bad. I mean, there, it's logically possible that there was one righteous guy in Judah that screwed over totally when God came down on him, okay? And, and so, really, we're not talking about a measure of faith, or maybe it's not even about, well, you didn't pray enough, or this or that. It's just, it's the way things are sometimes. Sometimes it's just that way. And there are questions that you can't have answers to. So I don't even know that it's a matter of having to have faith in the thing that you're praying for. Because there could have been one righteous Jew in you know, Judah standing there and say, I had faith, you know, I prayed, you know, there's this, that, and it didn't happen. Well, I mean, you wouldn't tell him, well, you're just stupid. I mean, you would help, you would encourage him to still have faith. Well, no, what you'd really tell him is that, well, this is a judgment that's coming upon the nation, right? So you're right. That one, look, this is the most troubling one. Because I don't think anyone's explained this one away yet. Yeah. But I feel like it's not exactly the prayer itself. Like, you know, let's just say, for example, we talked about Alberta's legend. If I pray really, really hard that maybe we'll go to Alberta's after birth today, and I'll be on my knees and I'll pray about this, right? But what if I, if I pray and I'm like, Lord, I know you can do this. I know you can change everybody's minds and hearts to go to Alberta. And this is a cheesy example. But what if I have fear going, you know what, but I know it's not going to happen. You know, so maybe it's not necessarily like a lack. I mean, I don't know if it has to do with a lack of faith, but more of a fear that God's just not going to answer my prayer. So why even pray? Well, that is what most of us struggle with, though. If we're going to be totally honest, the reason that all of us don't pray bold prayers is because in the back of our mind, there's this doubt that goes, you're not going to do it. How do I know that? It's not because some Bible verse, because I've tried it routinely, over and over. I've asked for things in faith. I've asked for things that don't even have to do with me, that aren't even selfish, and they haven't happened. That's what we're here for, you know? Melanie. I know throughout the New Testament, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you were praying through the eyes of God's kingdom, 
um, if you begin to pray for things that might just be because of your circumstances or just whenever you want to pray, then it's not necessarily going to be something that God is trying to use you to change. Um, because even Paul said, pray earnestly in all things, not just those things that you want to see changed, but pray in all things, like even if it doesn't affect you. And I think that that's one thing that we as Christians do. We just want to pray for those things that like either bother us directly or that we want to have because we think it'll enhance God's kingdom. But really, he wants us to pray for those things like that we don't even think will bother us because he wants to use those things to enhance his kingdom. So I think it's more of just like, you know, pray about the things that you don't even like, you know, that you don't, that aren't even so much like close to you just because you don't think it's going to like affect you as much. I think it's more than just, you know, oh, you can move a mountain or oh, you can heal this person or oh, you can do this. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. Okay. I think, well, I don't know if we went over this last week, but you went off of what you said is like how our focus is not on ourselves. Like, if Jesus is supposed to be our model with prayer, how many times do you really pray for himself? Like, it seems like a lot of times in Scripture, he always prayed for other people or prayed for other things. And, like, you know, I think the only time I can remember is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying uh, for this cup to pass. You know, that's when he said, Lord. But I don't know if there's any really other times where he prayed for himself. There may be one other time that's recorded, but that's the main recorded instance. So your statement is correct that we have very little evidence in Scripture, at least, that Jesus prayed for himself. Anyone else? Yeah, Jeremy? I would just say, I don't know if you're being facetious, but you said that there's no explanation has been given to explain this. I think there's a very clear explanation that says this is almost hyperbolic language here. I mean, he's, he's not... I don't think he's really saying you can literally move a mountain in this. But just if you read the passages before and afterwards, it just seems to me that given the surprise of the disciples, like Phil's, given the surprise of the disciples, he's kind of chastising them, saying, well, come on, well, why do you doubt this still? I mean, if you pray this way, you move. I mean, no, if, if this were the case, I would imagine that Peter at some point would move the mountain. I mean... <laughs> well, wait a minute. What, I, what I'd like to agree with you on is that Jesus did use hyperbole, Okay. So it could be that he's trying to emphasize the point by exaggerating a little bit, maybe about the extent of a, a mountain moving into the ocean. But I think we've got to be careful, too, because Jesus raised somebody from the dead. That defies all laws of physics, right, and biology and anatomy and anything else you want to add. It's no different in the end if he's able to raise someone from the dead, walk on water. There is a difference in scope, but it's still defying the laws of the natural order. And later, Peter does raise someone's daughter from the dead in the book of Acts. So we have this kind of repetitive thing where I agree that he might be exaggerating to make a point. But we can't just say that it was a figurative term of speech because we see repeatedly that blind people can see and other people couldn't walk, could walk, and then to the extreme of dead people rising and also walking on water. So we know that at least the natural order can be altered through these types of of prayer and faith. The question is, is that all that's operating every time we don't get our prayer answered? But this isn't, this passage is talking about the power of God, and so for us to extrapolate a meaning saying that anything we ask for with faith will happen. Well, I'm just reading the words. I know, but we're taking it out of context. Honestly, like I haven't heard the explanation of why it's out of context yet. They marveled at Jesus' power to curse the fig tree and have it wither, and his response to them is, you too can do this if you had the faith. Ryan has often cited the verse when they tried to 
exorcise the demon out of somebody and they couldn't do it. And he said, what? What's the reason that they couldn't do it? It's because they lack the faith. That's the only reason they weren't able to do it. He was able to do it and they couldn't. The power comes from the same place, but the difference, he said, was the faith. By the way, I think you and I agree about the ultimate point. I'm just trying to get you to get there. Because I don't know that I agree that when you don't have your prayer answers because you lack the faith. But we can't just say that that's just taken out of context because that's exactly what it's about. That I've revealed my bias. But I'm just looking for why you don't believe it if you don't because someone's going to come up to you and say that to you at some point in your life or you're going to be tempted to say that to somebody else or we say it enough to people that we injure people with this word all the time. People pray for something for a long time. It doesn't happen. We just go, well, you probably just didn't have the faith. Now, maybe nobody in this room is going to be that insensitive to say it. But if you heard somebody say that, how are you going to respond and say, no, that's actually not true? So now I'll at least tell you this. And then you guys, we have some homework to do because we can't. I, I don't think it would be honest to leave this question where it is and think that we've resolved it. Why is, why is your bias that Why don't you? You want me to reveal my view? Yeah. No, that, tonight's reverse exodus. I'm asking the question you guys are answering. I believe that faith does impact prayer. I just don't believe that it's the thing that is the only element there. So that you could state it in reverse. Like, I believe that if you have faith, that it will impact your prayer. But I can't say that the negative is true, that if you don't get something answered, it's because you lack faith. There are far too many things we don't know about God and what's going on behind the scenes to automatically conclude that. But that's just my belief. I've got to back that up for you. And you've got to back up your views about it. So the homework we've got before we go any further is, if you think this is right, you could just say, hey, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. You could take that approach, right? That doesn't fly in here very much, but you could take that. But more importantly, if you think that this passage in Mark is not meaning that you can, if you had faith, alter the course of things, provided you're within the sovereign will of God. I'm not saying you're going to you know, make God do things he doesn't want to do. But provided you're within that, could you actually do it? And if you believe that it doesn't say that, then you're going to have to tell me why. I'll give you some time to think about how you're going to do it. I love standing up here and watching all your faces. It's like everybody's like so frustrated. That's great. You know? like that's where learning happens, I think, is when you're all frustrated. Like everybody's just like, ah. Hey, look, this is our chance to take on this question. I've heard so many people say this stuff. And I've heard them throw it in people's faces at the worst possible time. And it sometimes can be an injurious statement. And it just really hurts people. But if you're going to be the person that stands up and says, I don't buy that, I think we should have a reason. Just, oh, that's stupid, or that's dumb, or that's evangelical. Should we have a better reason than that? You know, because... I can take it. The, the thing is, though, when you stand up, somebody go, you know what, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and here's why. You know, it'd be a lot better to have a good reason. All right? Let's close up and pray. And then, Lord, thank you for this place that we meet. Thank you that you dwell here. Thank you for the comments that rise up. Thank you for the wrestling that goes on. Thank you that we sharpen one another. Thank you that we don't take on easy answers. Lord, I even thank you for the frustration sometimes because it builds in us a desire to seek real answers. And Lord, I thank you for humility too because I don't think we can be arrogant enough to think that we're going to have all the answers. Let us take seriously this week just the chance to look into these things deeper and come back together and work 
to have an answer that's going to be one with gentleness and respect as you command in Scripture, Lord, not one that hurts other people. Pray all this in your name. Amen.